0: Welcome to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. I'm Reggie Rizzo and on today's episode, a blinding light display that has some neighbors upset. We'll also take a look back at the year of cool stuff. Plus this week in history, we'll illuminate you on the history of Christmas lights. Coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. The real life Clark Griswold holiday display is out there. And like the movie, it's bothering some neighbors. Tim Gay of Union Vale, New York has once again set the Guinness World Record for the most lights on a residential property for Christmas. He first set the record in 2012 with 346,283 Christmas lights, but then, you know, they raised the bar in 2014 with a little over 600,000 Christmas lights. Now they decided to up that once again and this year have 720,426 lights on display. They named their display E-R-D-A-J-T after their children's initials. They also created a list that has the number of lights that they have, along with what they added or changed each year. I have a link to that available in the episode notes, along with a video of the display. It actually all started back in 1995 when their daughter Emily was born. They had a measly 600 lights that were just static basically it started to increase every year since now in 2014 when they had the 600 lights that actually only lasted three days about 130,000 of those lights were lit just to obtain the world record again that included a ritz installation and it was actually powered by a 100 watt generator uh, again they only had that for three days just to obtain the record and then they cut back a little bit on the lights this year, they added two shooting stars to the driveway exit and remade a second set of mini trees. With their light display, they also play 255 songs. That ties the most songs that they played since 2017. However, some neighbors say the lights are too bright and that they don't enjoy the long line of cars that come out to see them, which also leads to littering. That includes beer bottles, trash, and people urinating near the road while they wait. One of the people complaining, Edward Cash, recently announced that he is running for a seat on the town board because the current town officials aren't doing anything about the lights. He told the New York Times, it's essentially running a Legoland out of your property for 40 days. Betsy Moss, the town supervisor, says, there's no local ordinance that can put a stop to the light show and they have no plans to change that. Quote, are you going to be the one to get rid of Santa? As for the gay family, Tim says if you bring joy and happiness to 50,000 people and you have 10 or 20 that don't like you, I think it's a fair trade off. Now, I can see both sides of this argument. I mean, as somebody who doesn't have any lights up in their yard, yeah, 720,000 plus seems like a lot of lights, but you are bringing joy to a lot of people. A lot of people come on out, see the lights. I can see the town not wanting to do anything. I mean, you're bringing people into the town that could be generating revenue for the local economy. You know, people going to restaurants afterwards or something along those lines. So I can see the arguments for not putting a stop to the light show. If I was a neighbor, on the other hand, I can totally see those arguments too. Too bright, waste everywhere, whether it be human waste or trash. I don't want to deal with that. You know, the difficulty probably getting out of your driveway because there's so many cars lined up to see the light display. I 100% understand where the neighbors are coming from Seven lights that's just a lot of lights and from my point of view putting those up that would be terrible taking it down even worse the whole reason why i don't put up christmas lights i don't want to have to take them down in the middle of winter well with the traveling marcus and i are doing for the holidays i thought i would take a look back at some of the cool stuff that we covered this year The story I grabbed for today has us looking back at some treasure. Now, I don't know if it's the most, you know, scientific or interesting story out there, but I feel like Marcus and I had a lot of fun talking about it. Well, X marks the spot.
1: As kids, I think many of us dreamt of finding a treasure map and following it to riches, a la the Goonies. Most of us will still probably never have that opportunity, but this story offers at least a glimmer of hope. The Maravillas was a two-deck Spanish galleon, That's a type of ship that you're probably accustomed to seeing in movies like, oh, I don't know, Pirates of the Caribbean. And it was armed with 36 bronze cannons. It was also one of the richest treasure ships ever to sink when it was downed in the northern Bahamas more than 350 years ago. In 1654, the ship was serving as the vice flagship of the mainland fleet when it collided with its fleet flagship before hitting a reef. 30 minutes later and sinking. The Maravillas was heading back to Seville, Spain, from Cuba, carrying both its own consignment of silver, as well as silver salvaged from the wreck of the Jesus Maria de la Olympia Concepcion, which sank off the coast of Ecuador in October, of that same year. Hopefully, I did the name some level of justice there. Since that time, the Maravillas has been salvaged, quote unquote, multiple times over, meaning teams have explored the wreckage and brought up everything they could. And we thought that was the end of the story until now i've always wanted to say that after four (laughs) years of underwater archaeology allen exploration has mapped a sprawling trail of previously missed treasure running for over five kilometers or approximately three miles on the ocean floor per a recent gnn report Prior to this most recent discovery, the ship had been fished for relics on at least 21 occasions, being heavily stripped by Spanish selvers and then English and American crews. Then between 1972 and 1991, modern salvage teams rediscovered the wreck and lifted an alleged 30 tons of gold bars and coins, silver nuggets, jewelry, emeralds, iron anchors, and cannons from the floor says Carl Allen, the founder of Allen X probably guessed that. Quote, many experts believe the story of the Meravius is over. That past salvage picked the old ship dry. Now we've proven the wreck is not all vanished. End quote. Alanex X was licensed by the government of the Bahamas and has been working on this project since 2019. Since that time, they've discovered a trail of artifacts running southeast, including silver bars, emeralds, amethysts, and gold jewelry. What weren't they carrying on this ship, by the way? The find also includes eight 128 lead musket balls, 10,988 olive jars, that's wildly specific, and almost 3,000 silver coins, all of the finds carefully mapped after the fact. The mapping is important because it provides critical clues into what happened to the ship following the sinking and how its treasures came to be dispersed the way they are. Says Don Porter, the project's offshore manager who oversaw the mapping, quote, you might think that it was centuries of hurricanes and storms that broke up the Maravius, but the archeology span has forced us to rethink that theory. If the galleon was broken up by hurricane after hurricane, the remains would be scattered around all four points of the compass. That's not the reality. They're mostly focused in one artifact scatter trail running southeast. End quote. GNN notes at least 142 hurricanes and storms have struck the Bahamas since 1500, which was of course a few years prior to the ship actually sinking. Jim Sinclair, the project's chief archaeologist, was surprised that the finds included unique gold chains and jewels inlaid with precious gems, the personal property that is, in all likelihood, at least of wealthy passengers and officers. Quote: You could be sure that if these valuable items were still sitting on the main wreck when the Meravius was salvaged in 1656, they'd have been brought up too. This can only mean that the treasures found by Allen X were scattered during the five months before the Spanish salvage operations began in June of 1656." Now, per GNN, the Western Little Bahama Bank lies within the trade wind belt. In the winter, winds with an average velocity of 30 to 40 miles per hour, blow in from the northwest and northeast. Allen believes that two to three storm fronts like these created the main part of the Maravilla Scatter Trail between January and June of 1656. The most common class of finds lost down the Maravilla Scatter Trail come from the Stern Castle, where the passengers' and crew's belongings were kept, from the fancy Chinese and Mexican bowls and dishes for dining, to swords, navigational dividers and gold jewelry again continuing from gnn carl allen explained that historical accounts showed that the three stern cabins collapsed into the ocean quote the quarter deck and stern castle floated away never to be seen again end quote and of course in 1992 the government of the bahamas enacted a moratorium on the issuance of licenses for shipwreck salvage and the sea stayed closed until 2019, you guessed it, when Carl Allen was awarded a new license to conduct scientific and archaeological exploration. Allen X now submits monthly written reports to the country, presenting maps of finds, lists of discoveries, and research. So, Reggie, I don't have any plans to fly out to the Bahamas and search for treasure. Certainly, I'd love to take a little vacation out there, but I mean, I'll I'll admit it, this at least gives me pause I, I i'd certainly find it pretty cool if i could take a little scuba trip out there and perhaps come home with a uh, whatever a 350 year old gold chain of some sort
0: you know all that treasure sounds nice but as you've been reading the story i've been trying to figure out who the captain of that ship is he must have been someone's nephew because he hit the flagship and then sank 30 minutes later in a reef. I mean, that screams of nepotism, right? He,
1: he, he was not licensed at all. He, no. he, oh man. Yeah. That was one of the more deadly mistakes
0: made. Just no. put just put nephew John in charge here. Yeah. It's an easy ship. No one would take it. It's a, not a problem. It's only the vice flagship. It's not the flagship. Oh man. I just, as you read, that was the first that hit my mind is like he hit the flagship <laughs> how i hope That's... it was really bad weather or something there's got to be some excuse for this Pict- picturing someone in the crow's nest hey
1: look out we're, we're, we're coming in hot <laughs> i mean
0: uh... it's not like a motorized ship either i mean you, you, not have you could still. be here <laughs> yes <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it didn't turn out, uh, unfortunately, uh, too well for the folks that were aboard. But, yeah, uh, 350 years have gone by, so we'll have a little fun with that.
0: This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for a bigger job, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Before we head into the holidays, one more look back in history for Christmas. On December 22nd, 1882, the first string of Christmas lights was credited to Thomas Edison, but it was Edison and his friend and partner at Edison's illumination company, Edward H. Johnson, that installed the first electric lights on a tree. Before that, candles were used to light Christmas trees, which, of course, was dangerous and led to many homes starting on fire. Johnson hand wired 80 red, white, and blue lights and wound them around his Christmas tree, which also revolved. With the help of electricity. However, the Christmas lights weren't an immediate success as a lot of people still didn't trust electricity at the time. It was actually President Cleveland that helped with the popularity of the lights. In 1895, when he requested the tree in the White House have hundreds of multicolored light bulbs, President Coolidge started the celebration of lighting the National Christmas tree on Christmas Eve in 1923. That tree had 3,000 light bulbs. For years, only the wealthy could afford lights on their trees because they would have to be wired by a professional. The average cost for that in today's dollars would be around 2000 bucks. That was until 1903 when General Electric offered pre-assembled kits. Even with GE offering those pre-assembled kits, it was Albert Sattica that saw the true potential of the Christmas lights. His family owned a novelty lighting company. In 1917, when Albert was just a teenager, he convinced his family to offer brightly colored strands of Christmas lights to the public. By 1920, he created the National Outfit Manufacturers Association, or NOMA, which was a trade association. That soon became NOMA Electric Co., and they cornered the market on Christmas lights until the 60s. Now, of course, Christmas lights, pretty commonplace. Everybody who celebrates Christmas, except for me, tends to have Christmas lights around a tree, around their house. But back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that of course wasn't commonplace. You wouldn't see a lot of Christmas lights. A lot of them were the candles. And I guess the attraction then would be, I guess you see the neighbor's house on fire, which hopefully didn't happen, but happened more often than people would have liked. If you celebrate Christmas, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. If not, I hope you enjoy the time away as everyone's with their family and you can go do whatever you want. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Reggie Rizzo. We'll be back on Tuesday with another story and a look back at this day in history, along with some of those clips of cool stuff that we covered this year. If you have any thoughts, comments, clips that maybe you want me to put in, let me know at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. We'll talk Tuesday.